No, really thankful to have Alex down, and I'm thankful to be able to do this. It's been a long time since I've been able to share in this capacity. And we're in a series called Prayers for the Church, which is not kind of your typical work through a book of the Bible series. The last time I was up here preaching was that. It's kind of like work through a text, which is my kind of preferred way to speak. But tonight we're going to have a bit of a different feel because we're in this series. This is the last week before we jump into a series on Philippians, which I'm excited for. But this Prayers for the Church series has really just been an opportunity for the pastors at our three different campuses to share a little bit about what they feel like God has been doing in us um, for our church. The things that we've been praying for for you guys and for our churches, and also just kind of the the little conversations that we've been having with God. We kind of want to let you in on it a little bit. So today, if it's all right with you guys, I'd like to let you in on some thoughts that, or some conversations that God and I have been having. And I think some pr- prayers that I've been praying for us as a church and things that he's been pointing out. So it's okay if we more just have a conversation today. Is that all right? Right on, right on. If you are new and tracking with us, uh, you can catch up on our podcast for one if you want to. The Coastal Church Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. The plug. But uh, I'm going to carry on from where Jason talked last Sunday night. Do you even remember what he talked about last Sunday night? Don't worry, the first service didn't remember either, so it's not just you guys. No, but we talked about this idea of growing up in Jesus. Does that sound familiar? There we go, we got there, right on. And there's just this idea that we have this picture, this measure of Jesus, this kind of the goal that we're going after. We want to grow up to be more like Jesus, to look like him. We hear this idea in church often. And the passage we were looking at last week, and I want to read it again because we're going to bounce off of it again today is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So if you want to follow along. Starts, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul loved his run-on sentences. But last week, we were talking about this idea of growing up in Christ, because he uses that word specifically, this kind of this growing up language. And we talked about, like, we grow in knowledge, in stature, and stability. Does that sound familiar from last week? And we grow through spiritual practices, biblical community, and providential circumstances. These are the, the, th- the kind of the, we can position ourselves in these things. We can choose to do these things. When circumstances come, we get to choose how we respond. These are all things that we have a fair bit of control over what we do with them. And these are the moments or some of the moments where we are formed to be more like Jesus. Spiritual practices, that's like reading the Bible, coming to church, all those kinds of things. Biblical community, being around other Christians, and then the circumstances that God sometimes has us go through that shape and form us to be more like him. We kind of understand these things. 
albeit sometimes, like last Sunday, we need a little bit of a nudge to step into some of these things. But we understand why putting an input into these things, putting some effort there, will then result in us ultimately becoming more like Jesus. We're placing ourselves in environments where we are shaped to be more like him. We even get that like sometimes the circumstances that happen to us have a forming effect. So that's what we talked about last week. And this Sunday, I want to talk a little bit about what do we do in the mundane times between the moments. What do we do between the Sundays? How do we become more like Jesus between our devotional times in the mornings or whenever you do it? How do, how, what does it look like to be like Jesus at work or in all these other environments that aren't explicitly listed in this list? Um, so here's a question for you. How many of you grew up in church? Okay, about half-ish. Right on, right on. Um, that doesn't give you guys a leg up. But does any of you remember what WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? Right on, right on. I grew up with that being the phrase that I was given as a very young kid to help me decipher what does it look like to be like Jesus in all of the different environments I'd find myself in. So say I'm, say hypothetically, when I was really young, I was fighting with my sister, and or say I didn't want her to play with me, and my parents would come in and say, oh, Brett, what would Jesus do? Well, I guess he would let my sister play with me. Right? Or, uh, or say if I was going to go do something I wasn't supposed to, it'd be like, Brett, what would Jesus do? Oh, yeah, I guess he wouldn't do that, so I won't do that. And I joke, but it was actually, growing up when I was quite young, it was a beneficial filter to know, is this a good decision or a bad decision? Is this going to make me like Jesus or take me the other direction? What would Jesus do? And so it was really beneficial as a young child, but as you start getting older, you start realizing that there's a lot of circumstances that you find yourself in that WWJD, what would Jesus do, doesn't quite cut it. Even when starting to consider what courses am I going to take at university? Well, what would Jesus do? I don't know. What, what kind of car would Jesus drive? I don't think he drove. <laughs> and there's, there's, for real, there's situations that we get into where it's the simple question of what would Jesus do does not get us very far. It kind of ends us at the same spot. And I make this out to be lighthearted, but there's actually a legitimate problem here. When we're talking about in the church, and we talk about this all the time, about becoming like Jesus, and we kind of have this picture of what that might be, but Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. And you know all those rules in the Old Testament that you read or skip over sometimes when you're reading? He followed all those. Because the new covenant came when Jesus died and was resurrected. That was when that all shifted. That's when he fulfilled the law. But he still lived by a bunch of those requirements. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back and have to follow all those again. Jesus was a 30-year-old man. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. We don't really know exactly even what he did for work. So it's a little hard to picture if I want to be like Jesus, but all these things don't really, they don't, they're, they're not applicable to me today. We end up with a bit of a predicament. Because in church, again, we always talk about becoming like Jesus, being more like Jesus, following Jesus, this language of all this language that's wrapped up in like, well, I need to know what that actually means for me today. Because I think we know like Jesus probably went to church. 
So when we're in church, it's pretty easy. No, no, Jesus would have come to church. He probably would have worshipped. He probably would have sang. He probably would have had a smile. Things like that. Like, we, we get that. We get what being like Jesus would look like when we're doing devotionals or when we're helping somebody out. But pretty quickly, we run into circumstances and situations in our life where what would Jesus do just doesn't quite cut it. So what do we do with that when our measure, our marker, our goal is this person? How do we reconcile with, that, uh, with our faith? How do we actually walk that out? And unless you've got this all already completely figured out, which maybe you do, and if you do, please let me know and I'll preach on it next Sunday. I think, unless we have it fully figured out, I think we end up drifting towards one of two places. The first is that we start making decisions and we realize, okay, like, what would Jesus do? I don't know what Jesus would do, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm just going to do whatever feels right in the moment. I'm going to let my emotions dictate my actions because it's not super clear to me what Jesus would do. And so we kind of just make our own decisions. The other direction we go, and maybe this one's even more applicable for us here today, is that when we don't know what this marker of what Jesus looks like is, so we don't know how to compare ourselves to that, we instead start comparing ourselves to each other. And I think if any group of people is guilty of comparison, it's probably us in the church. And we do this because like, we'll sometimes, and this is to the Christian crowd in here tonight, we sometimes look at people outside of the church, and sometimes that actually makes us feel a little bit better because we're like, well, I might not be perfect, but at least I'm here, so that must mean I've got it somewhat figured out. And we can feel sometimes a bit arrogant or a little bit better than because we're in church and we're kind of walking out this Christian thing, but they're not, so that means I must be all right. Some of us might be there sometimes, if we're honest. But another piece that I think is maybe even more true for us today is I think we often compare ourselves to each other within the room. And this isn't inherently bad. Like, we are meant to help kind of form each other to be like Jesus. But if we aren't careful, if our eyes kind of fall off of the picture of Jesus and falls onto each other to determine what is right or wrong or how I should or shouldn't act, when I view you all as my filter for that, there is a chance that we together can actually shift away from God's intended plan for us. We can become okay with things that maybe God isn't okay with, and maybe we can become not okay with things that maybe God is perfectly all right with. Maybe if I'm just going to push a little bit, one of these areas in comparison might be gossip. If I'm going to say, like, I think us in this circle, maybe myself included, we are fairly okay with a little bit of gossip. God might not be. But because it's been something that's been relatively normalized in our community, and we evaluate our standing with God based on what other people around us are doing, we sometimes become okay with some of these things. I think we struggle a lot with comparison. Is that fair to say? Everybody's kind of quiet, which is all right. Speaking to myself here too. And so I think we have to be cautious because I think there truly is a danger that when we, when we shift our eyes off of Jesus and we start measuring our standing before God by each other, we are bound to get slightly off the mark. 
But I think if we're being honest, sometimes we do that because we don't feel like we have a clear alternative for how we should make decisions. We wish we could just know exactly what God would have us do with every single aspect of our life. We wish that God had kind of just listed it all out and said, here you go, this is how you should live. But that's not always completely true in every circumstance. So it is natural that we would then go to each other to look for some of those things. But again, the danger is that we can drift towards things that become unhealthy quickly. And I think one of the reasons we get hung up on the whole be like Jesus thing is because in our minds we feel like there should be a generic picture of what that's meant to look like. But I think one of the hidden pieces in this is that we're not actually all called to be like Jesus the same way. It's not actually true across the board. And here is one of the ideas that I'd like to kind of just give to you, and then you can wrestle through this on your own time to decide if you think I'm right or not. I believe that the picture of what the Christian life and experience is supposed to be is much more blurry and less specific than we sometimes make it out to be. And in the same breath, I believe that what God has called each of us as individuals to in our lives is far more specific than maybe we'd sometimes like to admit. So I'll say that again. The picture of what a generic Christian life is meant to look like is probably more blurry than we like to think that it is. And the specifics of what God is calling me to and you to is probably far more specific than we often give it credit for. Because quite simply, we are not all called to look like Jesus the same way. We are wired differently. We are gifted differently. We are called to different things. Our personalities are different. So this idea of us all looking identical starts to seem a little bit impossible. But it, that clashes with this idea that we're all supposed to look like Jesus. Even um, practically speaking, if we go to verse 15 of what we read, it says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We've talked about this idea plenty of times here, that Jesus is the head. He's the one in charge. He's the one in control. He's the one that sets the direction. But we as the church, we as people, each individually play a role in the body, just like my hand and my arm are working together to move my hand. The problem with this, though, is my hand looks nothing like my elbow. Right? Right. So how does that work, though, if we're all meant to look like Jesus, but each part of the body is meant to look completely different, to function completely different, and to have its own role and purpose within the body? That doesn't fit too well if we are all trying to model ourselves after the exact same picture of Jesus. There's nuance, there's variety, there's diversity within the body, and that is a good thing. 
But if you're anything like me, you believe that to be true, that that makes sense, but it's still difficult to reconcile that with this idea that we are all constantly being told we all need to look like Jesus. And we just get into a bit of a pinch, which gets us to the second kind of idea I'd like to get you thinking a bit about. John 14, 31. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Arise and let us go from here. Everything that Jesus did while he was on earth was in response to what the Father was telling him to do. Jesus' entire ministry, his entire life was all about him listening and saying yes. We see that John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. What if looking like Jesus has far less to do with our lives modeling the life of a man 2,000 years ago and far more to do with doing the one thing that he did in every moment as he walked on earth? It wasn't the miracles, it wasn't the preaching, it wasn't conversations with his friend. The one thing that Jesus did nonstop was he listened to the Father's voice and he said yes to whatever the Father was directing. And I think often we get into our heads this idea that following Jesus means this checklist of items, this list of do's and do nots, and some of those are good and true. But I think sometimes when we're so focused on the specific picture of what it means to be like Jesus, we can miss out on responding to or even being aware of the specific things that God is calling me to or you to. Because to be quite frank, the things that God's calling me to do is not the same as the things that he's calling you to do. And there might be things that God is calling me to give up that he's not calling you to give up. There might be things that God is asking you to step into that he's not asking the person next to you to step into. And if we have a generic view of what it means to be a Christian, we might miss out on a whole bunch of these opportunities that God's asking us to step into. Because they're all for our own good. They're all for the advancing of the kingdom of God. They're all so that we experience joy. And they're perfectly catered to our personality, our wiring, and the way we're meant to live out our lives in his kingdom. You see, being like Jesus is not a one-size-fits-all kind of picture. It's an incredibly personalized picture to each and every one of us. There are things that we're all called to do and be, absolutely. We've talked about that a lot. But I just want to raise this idea that maybe we've been kind of coasting along, checking all the right checkboxes, but completely missing things that God's asking us to do. And so... I guess leaving it there, that's quite simple. We just need to listen to the Father, say yes to everything that he says us for us to do, and we'll be all set. But I know it's not quite that simple. And so as we start looking at this just really practically, what does this mean for us? Let me read this. Jesus speaking again. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. One thing we know about Jesus was that he was the very first man 
to walk completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit. To, to walk saying yes every single time he got a nudge. Jesus modeled his life for us, not so that we would do exactly the same things, not so that we would eat the same things, not so that we'd live in the same part of the world, not so that, not, not those things. He modeled life of what it looks like to constantly be listening to the voice of the Father and saying yes and walking out whatever those things are. And the good thing for us is that the Holy Spirit is always present with us and the Holy Spirit is always speaking. We get the choice of whether or not we want to listen and then whether or not we want to obey. I think there are probably a lot of us in this room who have lived our life trying to measure up to a checklist of items that we felt like we needed to do in order to be a good Christian because then we would walk right with God. But maybe for you, God's saying, like, some of the things on that list are probably good, but maybe that's not the thing that I'm nudging you in right now. And there might be things that you felt hung up on, discouraged by, weighted down by, and and that might not be the thing that God's actually asking you to to really dig into right now. So my question to, to you and to me would be, how often am I intentionally saying, Father, is there anything right now that you would have me say yes to? And that is how we become like Jesus. The one thing that Jesus did 100% of the time was he said, Father, is there anything you want me to do? Anything you want me to say? And every time he heard, immediate yes. So I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know if there's things he's asking you to give up. I don't know if there's things he's asking you to step into. I don't know if there's a calling on your life that he wants to point out to you tonight. But I know that he is speaking. I know that he's speaking to every single one of you. It's up to us if we want to listen or not. Because he doesn't always speak in the way that we're necessarily expecting him to. Near the end of his life, Jesus said this phrase, and I think he modeled this phrase for us. And I think as we go into a time of just kind of being able to pray and reflect and see if there's anything that God's saying, is this phrase, not my will, but yours be done. And I think there's an invitation for us to, to follow Jesus in the sense of praying the same thing that he prayed to the Father. Say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. What would you have me do? So on the moments between Sundays, on the moments when we're in work or in that group of friends or in that situation or that problem or we've been in, invited into something but we don't really know what to do with that, when we're in these situations, what would Jesus do might not totally cut it, but what is Jesus calling me to do right now might get you an answer. The last thing I want to say before we spend a bit of time praying is that I think some of us who have maybe been in the church for a while, we said yes to Jesus at salvation. We said, yep, no, I want God. I want you to come into my life. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to live for you. We said yes. Maybe we said yes to coming to church. Maybe we said yes to reading our Bible. Maybe we said yes to giving up some things in our life. And we, we checked all the boxes. We're like, all right, I've said some good yeses. But I think sometimes if we're not careful, we will ride 
on the yeses of yesterday and miss the yeses that God is calling us into today. So we're going to pray. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to say, not my will, but yours be done. And I believe that God is going to speak tonight. So if you want to pray this with me, I I invite you. Father God, we invite you into this place. God, I don't know what you're speaking, but I know that you are. And God, if there's anything that you want me to say yes to you, would you point that out to me tonight? Even as we're seated here together tonight, if there's things that you want us to step into, step out of, things you want us to consider, things you want us to think about, things in our life that maybe you want us to change, things in our life that maybe you want us to add, whatever it is, Father, when you speak that to us tonight, when you give us the strength and the courage to say, yes, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God, help us to set aside the list of requirements that we've made in our head of what it means to be right before you. Not because those things are always bad, but God, sometimes they become a distraction from what you're actually speaking. So Father, tonight, would it be just us and you? Your voice, our ears. Holy Spirit, would you come, invade this place, speak to us in the deepest way which you only know how. Confirm for us the plans that you have for our lives. Confirm for us that there is hope and joy, a peace, and peace right around the corner. Maybe just one yes away. God, we believe that you are good. We believe that you are here. We believe that you are speaking. And God, we ask for a touch of heaven in this place tonight in Jesus' name. Feel free to sit, stand, whatever you prefer.